Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Oh, yeah. Better than this. I don't know what I'm doing. I can't do this shit. What's better than this? It's, uh, forget it. I can't do it like Joe can anyway. And I'm by myself here on the Friday episode of Draft Dudes. And if we missed you yesterday, don't blame us. Our TDN intern, Cassandra, myself, and Joe did a, a wonderful Tier Maker Thursday dedicated strictly to ranking the last 10 Super Bowls that we've had the opportunity to experience as football fans. Neither Joe, Cassandra, or myself, Cowboys, Bills, and Dolphins fans, have had a team that actually played in the Super Bowl, so it was strictly from the objective viewpoint of a fan consuming a football game. And we put these Super Bowls into tiers of elite, great, good, and bad. Or, a phrase that we coined yesterday, I didn't realize this, I don't know how I somehow missed the boat here, But the Toronto Argonauts yesterday cut a defensive tackle whose name is Poop Johnson. Poop Johnson. Blew my mind when I found out that this was an actual football player. And somehow Joe was like, what, you didn't hear about this? This was a thing for like three weeks, like six months ago. So... Apologies for missing the boat. Apologies for you guys missing the boat yesterday. We finished the recording and only two of our three individual microphone recordings saved on Zencaster.com. How's that for a little bit of negative press? Sorry, not sorry. The Loyal Draft Dudes listeners missed their show yesterday, so we may have to recreate the magic of the Super Bowl tier maker, but it won't be next week because we literally did it for 35 minutes And we hit save, and then I was emailing folks, trying to find out where the audio file went, and it was nowhere to be found, and we weren't going to do it again. Not back-to-back, not in the same day, probably not next week. We will revisit that. Somebody actually pinged me on Twitter, at Grinding the Tape, by the way, and suggested we do Super Bowls. I thought that was really cool, because we had already kind of settled on it as an idea, and then we saw some positive reinforcement for that. What we're going to talk about today, Joe's out playing golf. Don't mind him. All by my lonesome here. We need to talk about what the NFL is proposing to the NFL Players Association as a potential, quote-unquote, compromise for the new collective bargaining agreement. It's interesting, uh, some of the buzz around the collective bargaining agreement and the negotiations here is that this thing might get done this offseason, which would be stunning to see play out considering how down to the wire it went last time. They really want to avoid the work stoppage. And let me tell you, folks, so do I. Now, here's the good news. As a draft guy, if there is a work stoppage, life goes on, right? There's always going to be college football. There's going to be an incoming draft class. But we don't want it. We don't want to do this. You know, the, the March 2020 is where when the current collective bargaining agreement is set to expire. Uh, they've already begun the negotiations. Uh, They're looking to iron this out as soon as possible, and rightfully so. Business is booming in the NFL. The NFL, the owners, have 
suggested to the NFL Players Association, they want 18 games. They were back on the 18 games thing again. They're saying, hey, why don't we make it 18 games instead of 16 so we get two more games, we, get, we everybody gets one more home game, and in return, players only are allowed to play in 16 games to protect the health of the players. Well, does that get messy? First of all, terrible idea. I understand this is being float, floated out here as a potential bargaining chip. The players... Want more players on the roster, right? A 53-man active roster. Uh, practice squad is something that we've seen be granted a little bit of growth. But by and large, the, the ability to, for teams to house more players is beneficial to the Players Association because that looks out for more of their own, obviously, of course. The owners want the extra two games because everybody wants an extra home game. And the 18-16 the split of 18 games, but players are only allowed to play in 16, uh, protects the owners from the liability of looking back at the players and saying, well, you got to play two more games. I've seen fans suggest, why don't we just take two preseason games and get rid of two of those? Because the starters don't play. You might take, for some teams, take all four preseason games, and the starters might play a game's worth of games. It's not a huge amount of wear and tear, and it's spread out over four weeks. In some teams' cases, five games in five weeks. And they effectively treat week four of the preseason exactly what it is, an exhibition, and none of the starters play. They need to figure out who's going on the bottom of the roster. So getting rid of and dropping two preseason games does not help this conundrum that we find ourselves in. Um, but it's... I find it amusing, right? You think about basketball, and Greg Popovich with the San Antonio Spurs is notorious for this. He picks and chooses his games on when to play players throughout the course of an 82-game NBA season. And Commissioner Adam Silver had to ring him up at some point and said, yo, knock this shit off, man. Like, people are paying money to see the Spurs play, and you're sitting everybody against the Lakers or against the Warriors. You're sitting everybody. Imagine the backlash the first time, because right now the NFL is saying, well, wait, hold on a minute. That's not a bad idea. We could get the extra games, but we're not going to beat our guys up. Imagine being the fan that buys Patriots season tickets. And you sell some games, but you want to go to two or three games. And two out of the three games you go to are games in which Tom Brady doesn't dress because of the 18-16 split. Imagine, how does, how does the procedures work there? How does that announcement policy, you're not going to declare at the beginning of the season what games everybody's going to play in because your dynamics might change. This almost gives this more of like a, a fantasy football strategy where you got to allocate your bye weeks and move players around and... This could get really, really messy, and I don't, I don't know if I expected this to materialize, but if you want the extra two games, you're so adamant about it, to give the players all the extra players that they want on the roster. And you have to extend the season. I'm not proposing you get rid of the two preseason weeks, but at the same time, you need to give 
multiple bye weeks to every single team across the board. I think that's the happy compromise for an 18-game schedule, which I would honestly hate. I really would. An extra two games. Part of what makes the NFL so special, in my opinion, is the scarcity of the games. You know, they've, they've done a nice job maximizing their weekly schedule throughout the fall to get football on Thursday nights, sometimes Saturday nights, uh, Sundays, and Monday nights. But there's only 16 of them. Of course, if you're if you're bumping to 18, the drama's still going to be there relative to 162 games, which is why nobody cares about baseball until midway through August. 82 games, basketball. Greg Popovich willingly sitting his star players versus the best teams that they'll play, which could be critical games for playoff seating. But 16 is a a great number because of the rotation that it gives you. Opposing conference division. Same finisher across the other divisions in your own conference. Your conference rivals twice. And then the rest of one of the divisions in your own conference. There's good symmetry there. I don't know what it looks like from a schedule maker's perspective to find an extra two games there. We're going to do protected rivalries. We're going to make sure the Colts and Patriots play every year. Seahawks and Packers after the fail Mary. I just... This adds a lot of extra layers, and maybe I'm being like a curmudgeon here, right? Like, change, not all change is good change, and and leave me alone, leave my sport alone. But for me, I really struggle to wrap my head around the benefits other than the owners getting two more games. But you're going to piss fans off. It's just like the season ticket holders who find out that one of their home games is going to London. I appreciate the sentiment. We have some wonderful fans overseas, even on this podcast. We have folks from the United Kingdom, Middle East, the Asian Peninsula. I'm blown away to look at the analytics and see who is listening to our podcast and when and what they're listening to. But the schematics of moving a team and I don't want to say neglecting, but you're scorning your own fan base that that pays their hard-earned money and pours it into your team. And to remove one of those games and send it overseas, if I was a season ticket holder, I mean, shoot, I've been a Philadelphia 76ers season ticket holder the past two years. They played the game overseas. I believe they played the Celtics on Christmas and um, forfeited that. Now, it wasn't Christmas, but they played the Celtics and forfeited a home game. And we, me and the, the guys that I went on the tickets with, we had to call up the, the six or six season ticket rep and be like, yo, what the, what's the deal with this? We paid for 41 games. And then they give you the, the well, run around options and try and blow it up like it's a good thing. It's not a good thing. You're going to have to give me my money back. But I paid for that with the intention of, it's the Celtics, man. It's going to be one of the best games on the, on the, the schedule. And then you propose with this expansion to sit, force players to sit for two games 
I mean, what are you going to sit offensive guys for one game and then defensive guys for the next game and compromise four games out of your 18-game schedule? Or are you just going to play complete backups for two games and make those two games completely worthless? Head spinning. And then what about special teams? You, I mean, you're going to have to add a significant amount to the roster to work around the special teams loops. Unless you're going to start getting into, well, it's only offensive and defensive starters can only place it. And then that's, I mean, there's so many cans of worms here that this proposition opens up. I can't see it materializing. I can't. But I wanted to get that out early today. Reaction. Take advantage of the fact that I'm here for you on a Friday while Joe's hitting the links. Don't ever forget it. Last five minutes or so of the podcast today. Uh, I would like to run through some of the takes that we've had at the Draft Network. I've had a lot of fun doing this. I did studs and duds a couple times throughout the uh, the spring, talking about the opinions of my coworkers, what they feel on certain subjects, and if it's a good idea or a bad idea. The first one, Melvin Gordon. Running back Melvin Gordon uh, has apparently told the Chargers, y'all need to pay me or y'all can play without me this year. He wants a new contract, and if he doesn't get it by training camp, he's going to sit out training camp and potentially sit out the 2019 NFL season. If you think he's bluffing, somebody, I don't remember who it is, but somebody took a clip from last year when the news of Le'Veon Bell sitting out the 2018 season broke. Le'Veon, or Melvin Gordon was sitting with his father, and his father asked him, so Bell's not coming back? And Melvin said, nope. He gave him four or five years of everything that he had, and they can't even pay him. I'd sit out too. And this is this is an all-time receipt that somebody cashed in and posted this on Twitter this morning. Uh, I don't think he's bluffing. Now, it worked out pretty well for Le'Veon in the grand scheme of things. He lost some money, but protected his health, and he got a long-term contract. Ben Solak's Would You Rather column today said... Would you rather pay Melvin Gordon or not pay Melvin Gordon? The arguments on either side of the fence, Melvin Gordon's a good football player. Other side of the coin, running backs, quote-unquote, don't matter. Ben's ultimate verdict. That said, unless you have a better plan for the money, I'd pay Gordon the $8 million. Worst case scenario, you end up giving reps to the players you would have played anyway, you eat some bad money, and you're still trying to win in the Phillip Rivers window now. Running backs may not matter, but Gordon is an objectively good football player. I tend to pay those. I disagree with Ben Solak here. If Melvin Gordon wants to play hardball, I'd let him play hardball. And I'd try and trade him right now to somebody who would take him. I'd start picking up the phone, start calling around, contract year, yo, does anybody have a, enough guaranteed money to sign Melvin Gordon to an extension? If so, you want to give me a second round pick for him? What, what's the market price? That's how I'm attacking this situation if I'm an owner or a general, if I'm a general manager, I should say. Um, I respect the concept of paying hometown players, the players that you've built and developed. And Gordon had a breakout year last year. But the positional value for Melvin Gordon 
the quality of the product that I'm going to get from Melvin Gordon, some of the durability questions that I'm going to have with Melvin Gordon, and we're talking about him more than doubling. Track has his market value at uh, just under $12 million per year. Take a look at Melvin Gordon's production, and you tell me how replaceable Melvin Gordon is with a couple of uh, specialized backs. Lots of great backs out there. And I like Melvin Gordon. I would. I would shop him, though. Because at the end of the day, I have to feel like I have a do-everything elite football player at that position to want to hold on to him in the long term. And if Melvin feels like he's ready for it now, he's going to expedite that position or that, that decision I'm probably bouncing. Joe Marino, Six Pack Thursday. Looked at six unanswered questions about positions in all of football. One that stood out the most, uh, he talked about the Texans' offensive line. Here's what he had to say. Texans need to improve their offensive line. The Texans need to improve its offensive line. It was arguably the greatest need of any team in the entire NFL. This is a fact. Franchise quarterback Deshaun Watson was welcomed back to the lineup coming off an ACL tear by getting sacked a ridiculous 62 times last year. This is also a fact. General manager Brian Gain entered free agency with over $70 million available in cap space and a pressing need to improve the protection for Watson. And the fish he landed was a perpetual underachieving Matt Khalil in a one-year deal, and that's it. There were a number of starting caliber offensive linemen available to sign, including Trent Brown, Juwan James, Mitch Morse, Roger Saffold, and Max Paradis for starters, and Gain sat on his hands. After striking out in free agency, Gain made offensive line investments in the NFL draft in the form of small school prospects, Titus Howard and Max Sharping in the top 55. Gain was abruptly fired in early June, after only 17 months on the job, and while he completely mismanaged Houston's resources this offseason, Watson still doesn't have the protection that he needs. What's the take here? The take here is overviewing everything that the Texans did and did not do and absolutely hammering them for their handling of the offensive line. In the buildup to the 2019 NFL Draft, uh, I had told the Texans in a mock draft, to write down on a piece of paper in Sharpie, offensive line, no matter what. And damn it, if they didn't listen to me, but I'd wish they hadn't. Because if I knew that's what the board looked like, with Dalton Reisner available, Jawan Taylor available, Cody Ford available, if I knew you were going to take Titus Howard At 23, I'd have told you to take anything else. You had your pick of the litter at cornerback if you wanted. But instead, the Texans listened to me in my short-sightedness. And I take responsibility. I take some responsibility. And I apologize to Texans fans for it. The last take I want to tackle is Brad Kelly is ranking each of the uh, 32 NFL rosters. 
and he had posed the question and asked fans to convince him as to why the Chicago Bears roster was better than the San Francisco 49ers roster. And what he ultimately did is he put the 49ers 17th and the Chicago Bears 18th. And I respectfully disagree. One of my best friends for my entire life is a diehard 49ers fan, and we talked about this in the phone this morning, actually. And um, he had mentioned that, that Brad had posed this and, and asked me which side of the coin I sat on. I said, I favor the Bears, but it's not a home run. He said, really? Like, I think if you take the, the four best defensive linemen on both rosters as a starting point, three out of the four would go to San Francisco, which is extremely disrespectful to Akeem Hicks. I think Bears have three of the best four. Khalil Mack, DeForest Buckner, and Akeem are the, the first three in my order, and then it's probably D Ford. Nick Bosa, we need to know what we have first. As much as we want to put him on the platter, he's got a soft tissue injury right now, so I don't want to, I don't want to cover him too hard right now because he's an unknown asset. You move to linebackers, I'll take the Bears linebackers. You look at the secondary, I'll take the Bears secondary. Defensively, I think the Bears have a clean sweep. Offensively, I don't know what the hell we have in Jimmy Garoppolo. Mitch Trubisky's still a work in progress. Even if we call it null and void, 49ers get the edge in, in, uh, in the running backs. 49ers get the edge in tight ends. Offensive line is close. Charles Leno's playing good football. Cody Whitehair is an ascending player. James Daniels, an exciting addition. And then the wide receivers, Brad's going to hate me for it, but I think the Bears have better overall wide receiver core than the San Francisco 49ers. So I think there's enough there that the Bears, for me, would have a better roster than the 49ers, even though Brad has this flipped the other way around. I want to thank you guys for tuning in to this Friday episode of The Dudes, or The Dude, as it, as it stands today, flying solo. Had a good time. Might have Joe hit the links more often. Get the whole microphone to myself. Get to talk through some takes. Listen, if you guys have hot takes for next week's Takes on Takes on Tuesday, tweet at the Joe Marino or at Grinding the Tape with your hot take. Or if you're turning somebody in, we need the hashtag Tattle Takes. We'd love to have it. We were a little light last week. I understand it's July, but let's step the game up, folks. Signing off for the weekend. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Draft Dudes Podcast. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.